Noble Experiment by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 23, The Best of All Possible Worlds. Warner's silver Toyota hummed along at 70 miles an hour over the endless stretches of the Nevada Highway. Brady had spent every second describing his Mergendorf adventure in great detail. He had hoped that by retelling the story his mind would somehow be charged and he would remember about the date. But he remembered nothing. Warner was an attentive listener. After all, she was sitting beside a man who was 17 years older than she was in 1963 and now 12 years younger in 1992. She heard what he said and then addressed her own experience. How she had established herself as one of San Francisco's leading psychiatrists. This car has a lot of power. I'm going to get a hybrid soon. Lorna, what's a hybrid? Well, it's a car that goes with electricity and gas. Why would you use electricity? We've got plenty of gas. Just to save some money and the environment, I guess. Right. we got bigger problems here. I can see why things are the way they are. Just get me to Peace Mountain said as he slumped down in the seat of the small car. He folded his arms across his chest and Lorna drove the car into the Peace Mountain Reserve. For two and a half hours, the road was bumpy through the forest. Brady could see how the trees had grown, especially in the area around the lake. Lorna pulled the car up to the lake's edge, the exact spot where Coffee had landed his red and white helicopter over 29 years before. Although it was mid-afternoon, Brady still stuffed a flashlight into his pocket. They set out along the trail. Both Warner and Brady scoured every inch of the trail. It was late afternoon when they reached the indentation of the peaks, but there was no sign of Brady's journal. I know I walked out of that ship and I was holding the journal, said Brady as he walked to the spot where he reasoned the ship must have landed. Are you sure, Brady? You might have left it inside. They could have erased more of your memory than you think. No, I had it inside the ship right here. I could see the lake in the forest, and I instructed the computer to open the hatch. The hatch opened and air came inside. I know I had that journal when I walked out. Do you remember having it in the car with that guy? No, that's when it came back to me that I had a journal. We were near Reno. I asked the guy and I looked around the car, he said as he kicked the rocks. Damn! Damn! What does it mean? August 31st, 1992. What is it? He echoed to the peaks. Brady, we have to go below. Come on. We have to go back. We'll come back out when the sun comes up. Right now, let's just recheck the trail. 12 or 13 hours left to 11.34 a.m. Damn. He pushed his fingers through his hair. Okay, let's go. The sun had set as they made their way down the rocky trail. To no avail, they scoured the rock and dirt for the old journal. It was almost dark near the bottom when a faint brightness in the west and a full moon of bloody red had risen in the east. They reached a small ridge overlooking the forested area above the lake. Brady shined the flashlight along the trail. Dejected, he moved under the trees and down the slope into the forest. I feel obsessed, Warner, he said as he looked at the overhanging rocks. I've learned it's not good to be obsessed with anything. You have every right to be upset though, Bill. Besides, everyone is different. What one person sees as an excess is... Ah, the magic word, laughed Brady. What may be excessive to you, Brady, may not be excessive to somebody else. What's important is how it affects your life and those around you.
Words of wisdom from Dr. Warner Coffey. He smiled for the first time since they had met. Let me give you more words of wisdom. That date is very important to the Murgendorf, and I don't know why. I know, I know. He looked up at the dark face of the mountain through the trees. The trail had dropped about 200 feet from the ledge, leaving a rocky talus nearly overgrown at the base. You know, Lorna, he said, looking into her eyes, sometimes I wish I had never heard of Olin Von Grunkel, Hank Brady, and this entire mess. Oh, Von Grunkel, I don't know whether I should tell you. Tell me what? Well, he started his own church. He's a rich old man now. He's a son of a bitch is what he is, began Brady, looking upward toward the stars. Never mind. I don't care about him now. What the hell is that? What do you see? I don't know. He said as he shined the flashlight upward. Up there. You're on the trees, in the sky. That's it. That's the book. He handed her the flashlight. He ran toward the tree at full speed, running up the side and catching his hand on the first branch. Pulling himself upward, he looked down at her. Not bad for a 56-year-old man, eh? He laughed ecstatically. Are you sure that's the journal? She asked. Yes, yes, I must have dropped it from the ledge and it landed in those trees, he said, climbing like a monkey through the tree. He made it to the edge of the limb where the notebook was lodged and he shook it furiously. The journal loosened and fell to the pine needle floor below. Lorna ran over and picked it up and panned the light away from Brady. Hey, hey, I have to get down here, Lorna. Sorry, she said, shined the light back up the tree. Brady maneuvered himself down the tree as Lorna kept the light shined on him. But unable to resist the temptation, she swung it over onto the notebook. As he reached the first branch, she thumbed through the pages, and Brady jumped to the ground. What do you read? Wow, this really did happen. This commander, Grok, he was real. Yes, he was real. And there were other aliens, too. Sheesh, and Mergendorf I knew, and Tolian, and Laren. Her eyes slowly rose up and focused on Brady. Then her mouth froze open in silence. What is it? The world. It's coming to an end on Monday morning. Monday morning? What? He shouted as he grasped the notebook. His hands quivered as he read the relevant sections and relearned the story once again. I don't know what ARPEC is. There were explosions, explosions, total annihilation. That's the ARPEC. And I don't know why or how. We have to warn them. Them? Asked Lorna. And who the hell is going to believe all this, Brady? The police, anybody. We have to get back to civilization. The president must know, the Pentagon, he said as he took her by the hand. They ran back to ground level along the lake trail to the car. His hands shook incessantly as he gripped the wheel of her car and they sped out of the forest. Fact number one, Brady, they won't let this happen if we proceed in a logical manner. I agree. What's your logical approach? You're roughly 13 hours. According to what you wrote, it all happens at 11.34, August 31st, 1992. One possibility is going to the police in that town we went through. Yeah, yeah, said Brady in a token gesture as he thought. But they'd never believe us. I know. We have to keep talking. Plus, Lorna, I'm a murderer, remember? They can trace my records. That was self-defense. Who cares? We have almost 12 hours to tell the world the party's over. We have to do this exactly right or it will be over. Who do you know in Frisco? 
lots of people. Important? Sure. A lot of clients. One of them's a state representative in Sacramento. Who else? Doctors, lawyers. Uh, what about copies? Division at the Air Force. He wiped all that out. It no longer exists. Swell. What about the people who were in it? Either dead or retired. It could take weeks to locate them. Damn. He said skidding the car off the road. Who is the most credible and most influential person you have as a client? Well, the mayor, Mayor Biddle. San Francisco? Yes. And what I know about him, <laughs> said Lorna as she rolled her eyes. And what's that? Well, I can't tell you that. Lorna, the damn world is coming to an end and you're keeping secrets. The hell with Bill, he said, but she was silent. Lorna, he said, keeping up the pressure, and finally shook her head. Okay, Lorna Dune, I don't know what this guy did, but you have to call him. What do I say? Hello, Mal. Sorry for interrupting your day, but the world's going to end at 11.34 this morning. Don't, don't miss it. No, you do this. So he drove the car through the dark forest. Let's keep talking. Okay, okay. If we went to the papers out of the television stations, they'd just say we were crazy and they'd probably call the military. Well, that's out. Keep talking, Brady. Keep talking. She said as they continued through the darkness. Everything was on the line now. And in this wild scenario, they would have to go into a final plan. Before even checking into the room, Lorna was on the payphone calling Mayor Biddle in San Francisco. They had decided to have Biddle connect them with government intelligence and make some sense of ARPEG and what he had learned from the Mergendorf. The lobby phone's line rang to San Francisco, and after talking with Biddle's wife, Biddle came on the line. Hello, Mel. This is Dr. Coffee. Dr. Coffee. Dr. Coffee. What? What's up? Something wrong? Well, actually, there is something wrong. Something of a very personal nature. I need to talk to somebody, and I need you to do me this favor, Mel. I need you to connect me with somebody at National Security. Wow, I am just the mayor of San Francisco. I have to go through channels. It's imperative, and it has to be done now, Mel. Well, I do know some people in the military. I can do that tomorrow morning. No, I need it done tonight. Something is going to happen that involves national security tomorrow morning at 11.34 a.m. Very well. Can I call you back? Do you have a number? No, we'll call you in 20 minutes. She hung up the line and looked into Brady's eyes. I heard what you said. You think he'll do it? Yeah, he'll do it. The question is, once we get that person on the line, what do we tell them? If I mention the word peg, if it is valid, it's going to set things off, and then we can get to the bottom of this. Look at the clock over there, Brady. She said, pointing at the clock on the wall above the check-in desk. We have 13 hours and 27 minutes left before this war of undoing starts. Let's just wait 20 minutes and make the call to Biddle. The mayor had indeed come through. On the other line was a man named Steve from the National Security Agency. Steve asked Biddle to get off the line and talk to Lorna directly. He had a low voice and spoke rather nonchalantly as if nothing was wrong. Hello, this is Steve. Steve, you're from the National Security Agency. Yes, I am. My friend has vital information. Okay. What's the vital information, Dr. Coffey? Let me put him on the line. I have vital information, buddy. Oh, you do, do you? Yes. Does the word RPEG mean anything to you? What the hell is this? 
None of your business. You only have a few hours. Are you a scientist? How do you know about how do you know about this? Never mind. It's a classified program. You know about it. Who are you? Are you working for the Soviets? No. Who told you about this? A little birdie told me. This has something to do with a war, said Brady. Whatever it is, you have to stop it before tomorrow morning at 11.34 a.m. Oh, I do, do I? Look, uh, let's meet you and I. Just you and I, we'll meet. Where are you? Will you stop this RPEG? Oh, sure, we can do that. This is valuable information, Mr. X. And I want to know how you know about this particle accelerator. Don't bullshit me, buddy. This is the war of undoing. It must be against the Soviets. Again? Where the hell are you? I'm hanging up so you boys can't trace this call. Hey, wait. Listen. I need to know who you are. Harvey, you got this information. It's ultra-classified. If there's something to what you're saying, I need to talk to you. And let me tell you, Steve, whatever it is, stop it. Don't let this RPEG thing start. Again, where are you? Goodbye, Steve. What did he say, Brady? I don't know what he's gonna do, but we gotta get out of here right now if they trace that call. Within 15 minutes, they had left the city limits. The lights along the highway faded, and soon they were in a darkened area. Brady, I don't know if we accomplished anything at all. Lorna Dune, I don't know what we can do. I don't know how we stop this. Hopefully, this guy will stop this anyways, whatever it is. This particle collider, it's going to create some sort of chain reaction. Hopefully, he'll shut it down anyways, just on the possibility that it might happen. As Brady drove along at 80 miles an hour, red and blue lights began flashing behind him. Within a few seconds, a police cruiser tailgated the rear bumper and pulled him over. The cops said nothing and moved Brady and Lorna into the cruiser and they were brought back to the city. Somewhere in a high-rise building, they were locked in a room. Three FBI men entered the room a few minutes later. How did you guys find out where we were? Never mind how we found out anything. We want to know how you know about our peg. I can't tell you that. You wouldn't believe me anyways. I'm just saying the world will be destroyed tomorrow morning because of this RPEG. Apparently you don't know, Brady. The United States and the Soviets both have activated their own RPEGs. The collision particles will create power stranglets, mini black holes. We need the colliders for power. It's only a defensive measure should there be a war, but we want to know how you found out this information. Brady squinted. There it is. There it is. You can't do this. You're going to start a reaction, you fool. It'll happen tomorrow morning in less than 12 hours at 11.34 a.m. Oh, really? What time zone, pal? I don't know what time zone. And besides, Brady, the reaction theory producing strange matter has all been debunked. So you don't know what you're talking about. No. Your collider could produce these... What do you call them? Strangelets. Yes, yes. Or maybe it's the Soviets. You'll start a chain reaction, converting this world into destruction. Maybe even this strange matter. Yeah, right. Look, 
We need to defend ourselves and we need these things in place. Brady sprang to his feet. Don't you understand? There's not much time. Don't start those colliders. Or tell the Soviets, don't start their collider. You, sir, and your honey here are going to jail. As the FBI man moved toward the phone, Lorna stomped on the other agent's toe and Brady grabbed the gun. One by one, he took all their weapons and then marched the men down the hall and into the elevator. Brady shot out the display panel and removed the wires. The elevator was locked in place. At the ground level, Lorner continued to hold his hand as they ran toward an underground tunnel which led into a supply area. They emerged from the tunnel and onto a cement sidewalk. They moved by trees into an area of smaller buildings toward the outskirts of town. Brady held her hand and darted between the buildings onto other side streets. He kept looking from side to side at the parked cars and back toward the building behind them. He quickly moved to his right as they came to an intersection and the ground shook so hard that they held on to each other as to not lose their balance. Can we get out of here? Will they do anything about that collider? We can't count on anything, Brady. It's all real, Lorna. It's all real. We know what's going to happen in that chain reaction. Using the handgun, Brady hijacked a taxi and maneuvered through the streets toward the outskirts of town. Brady was listening to a newscast that indicated some type of disruption in the world. Ken, I have to put you on the air again. Apparently there's been some confrontation somewhere with the possible tactical use of nuclear field weapons. There are earthquakes emanating from areas within the Soviet Union heading outward toward the Middle East. We do not know the nature of these earthquakes, but some of them are reading high on the Richter scale. As I am reading this, it is not known exactly what is going on. The White House has issued an order telling all Americans to remain calm, and the situation is well in hand. Pause now. Apparently there has been destruction of several cities in the Middle East without nuclear weapons. Many cities within the Soviet Union have been destroyed. And now this from CBS News, a statement being read on Air Force One by Press Secretary Will Jackson. As the citizens of this country will take immediate shelter during this emergency, we must, above all, remain calm at this time of increased tension. All efforts are going forward to halt the series of attacks that are vital to the interests of both the Soviet Union and the United States. Again, the President has urged all countries to keep these attacks limited. This noble experiment of mankind is beginning to unravel. This is the Emergency Broadcast Network. Please turn to 1600 megawatts on your AM dial for a civil defense instructions in this emergency. I told you, I told you, it's all over, it's all over. As the taxi left the city, the highway began to shake. Some of the buildings behind them became unpinned and began collapsing to the ground. This is Ken Melton reporting from New York. NASA has told us that some sort of energy chain reaction has lingered and begun dissolving things. Land masses have begun to move and unstable continental plates have let go because of the powerful forces in the world are becoming undone. By tomorrow morning, the entire world will be destroyed.
the Murgendorf ship entered the orbit around the Earth. With his crew surrounding him, Grack had come down from his platform and stood in front of the window viewer. Not a word was spoken as the minute billows of smoke were rapidly combining into one massive cloud which was enveloping the planet. They had been monitoring all Earth communications once they had gone sublight. One radio broadcast, along with thousands of others, had been scanned by the computers. We have located Brady's genetic structure. Very good, Paris. Very good. Not so good for Norlon. This world, Paris, said Grok to his second-in-command. It's all so unreal. Our world is in upheaval, but the people still live. Look at this planet. Norlon. Earth. Oceans have risen. Continents are shifting. It's being surrounded by that dark cloud. There will be no life. No bringing it back. No hope, Commander observed Paris soberly. Grok nodded his head and then turned to his communications dwarf. I want to talk to Antovian. Standing by below, Commander. This is Antovian, Commander. Sheesh and I are ready to bring them up. A few minutes later, a round platform on the floor was visible in the window viewer. It opened up and the muted figure of Bill Brady, standing next to a human female, rose with Antovian and Sheesh. Brady! said Grok. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Why didn't you let us die? Was it compassion or torture to let me see my world destroyed? Asked Brady as he gazed out at the smoky earth and the fireballs that encompassed the chain reaction. The entire planet was clouded over now. There is no hope, Grok, said Brady, and a silence fell over the nexus. No, said the Renegade. There is hope. Spoken in our war of expeditions on the fringe of the galaxy. Some call it legend. Some call it truth. Grack was becoming upset and strutted over to the Renegade. I see no reason to give them false hope, Sheesh. No, Grack. It is called the Renegade Lontamian, the everlasting. Sheesh. Perhaps there's another time to talk about this, said Paris. The passageway through time, observed the large creature in his orange eyes filling with wonder. What are you saying? asked Brady. We can go back? Then again. Commander, this is just superstition and legend, chided Paris, to brighten their hopes. Brady walked up to Grok. You saw what happened when I got to Earth. No one listened, no one cared, he said as he turned to the Renegan. What makes you so sure that this portal, this passageway exists? What makes you so sure they'd listen to any wide-eyed proclamation that I say in the past? They wouldn't listen now, in a time before 1992? Humanity is humanity. If I were to go back, I would have to show them just how precarious this experiment on the planet had been. Perseverance. Thank you for listening to A Noble Experiment by Robert P. Fitton. Copyright 2023 by the Robert P. Fitton Revocable Trust. This has been a production of Fitton Theater of the Words. The optimist thinks this is the best of all possible worlds. The pessimist fears it is true. J. Robert Oppenheim.